Well, greetings and welcome to the Fresh Text monthly bonus episode for the month of June 2021. I'm the editor here at Fresh Text, Todd, and I'm delighted to be joined by John for our first in what we hope to be a continuing series of mailbag episodes. We are making this mailbag episode available to all Fresh Text listeners, as it's the first time that we're uh, engaging in this sort of process. For any of you who aren't familiar with mailbags, it's basically just an AMA or an Ask John Anything episode where, you know, we've opened up some questions to a variety of listeners and, you know, various people that John has talked to about the show in the months and and weeks prior to this episode. And we've just compiled some questions to ask John. So uh, we hope you enjoy this. And I'm just going to read off some of these questions and uh, we'll just engage in a little bit of dialogue here. If you do enjoy this episode, we will be doing future mailbags uh, in the future, and you're always free at any time to email questions to freshtextpodcast at gmail.com, and we'll throw those in the next episode. So, uh, John, let's just go ahead and kind of jump in here with the the first question. Just for the listener's sake, uh, all the questions, I didn't in my emails ask whether or not they wanted their names used or not, and so we're just going to go ahead and just read the questions and omit those. But in the future, if you do submit questions, you can let me know whether or not you want your name uh, read on the show or not. So our first question here is really kind of an interesting one. It is, what are some of the key benefits for Protestants to rediscover our rich theological heritage through practices such as the lectionary and daily office? Yeah, thanks. Great question. And thanks, Todd, for, for doing this. Asking questions to myself and answering them seems weird, so it's better. It's to kind do it of a nice way. inverted yeah. format for the editor to actually have control over the show, like you know, in this way. So this is yeah. fun, fun for me. So if there's any excuses, I only have to blame myself. <laughs> so. Well, I love it. I'm not paying attention to the time or anything. So. Yeah. So some of the benefits of well, there's two things mentioned there: lectionary and daily office. Um, so first of all, I just want to say. I personally think the, the lectionary is probably overrated hmm. as a tool. <laughs> I know I use it for this podcast, but it's not because I believe in it. I think it. there are all kinds of judgment calls that the lectionary, revised lectionary, lectionary revisers in the 70s and 80s, all kinds of weird choices that I myself wouldn't make. Hmm. But the benefit for me as a preacher and student of the word is... I will go to my favorite texts or I will get stuck in like one book forever Mm -hmm. if I don't have some kind of curriculum, right? So you got to think of, I think of the lectionary as a curriculum. And just like if you were teaching Sunday school and you were handed a curriculum to talk about Jonah this week and do this little Mm -hmm. cutout, well, your best, I mean, just think of when you were a kid, your best Sunday school teachers didn't just do the curriculum. It Mm -hmm. was a jumping off point. It was a base to build off of. Absolutely. Yeah. So if you think of the lectionary as a jumping off point, that's going to get you to jump around and expose you to the old Testament, to new Testament epistles, to the Psalms and to a gospel reading. And the gospel readings are kind of the anchor, especially during the, the Holy seasons around before and after Christmas, and before and after Easter. So often the old Testament and epistles and Psalms are selected because they're related to the gospel reading. And then the rest of the year in ordinary time, which is like, June through November, the selections are off the disconnected. They're just kind of going through texts, you know? So 
I find it to just be a, a nice jumping off point as a kind of curriculum so that it, I'm not just going with my own whims and interests, but I am anything but a sort of lectionary fundamentalist mm-hmm. or something. I don't think it's like the solution to all our problems. I just, it's a helpful counterweight to my own drive towards deep, you know, I'll go in a deep dive. When I was a preacher, um, when I was a local church pastor, I would do in the mornings, I would use the lectionary, but with a, as a jumping off point. And then the evenings I preach sermons in the evenings and, and there I would just do deep dives in a book mm-hmm. and just see where it goes, you know. So I'd be in like Hebrews for like a year and a half, sure. you know. And that was probably tiring for some of my congregants. <laughs> so, yeah. And I grew up with a lot of topical sermons that just kind of were all over the place. And it didn't really help me learn the scriptures the way that Sunday school and Bible study did mm-hmm. because it was more focused on the texts. As for the daily office that, he, that, that the listener mentioned, I mean, I just – love the notion of saying, okay, I'm going to pray a few Psalms and read a few scriptures every morning and every evening and just get in a routine of that. Because the fact is, is when, before I discovered daily office as a prayer pattern, prayer was for me was so much more built on my mood. So if I was mm. kind of wanting to connect with Jesus, I'd have a wonderful hour of prayer. Moods and needs. Yeah. yeah. But then other days, nothing. Because I didn't want it, didn't feel like I needed mm-hmm. it or I needed it, but didn't want it, you know. Yeah. So, whereas to kind of have a sort of consistent rhythm and then you build off of that again, it's a jumping off point again, mm. right? So then what, what you do to add to it, to make it your own is, is absolutely crucial. So I'm not a big, like, you know, missionary for these ancient practices. I more just kind of find them helpful sure. <laughs> as a, as a curriculum and counterweight to my own whims. Sure. Definitely. Like you said, just a great jumping off point to really get you started. And it's really about you know, when you have that place and that resource to go to as a jumping off point, it gets you going. And sometimes in the spiritual life, it's just about having some structure. It's just about having a jumping off point and having some, you know, uh, something to adhere to. Because let's face it, it's not, you know, sword drills. It's not just taking the book, opening it up like I used to when I was nine or 10 years old and say, God, talk to me. Like, you know, just randomly, you know, by flopping open the Bible, but having a little bit of lattice work there, you know. Nice. That's a good image. uh, And the wild thing is it actually makes those spontaneous practices all the more valid mm because they have that lattice. And then within that, you can play. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, our second question here is one that I know that you've gotten quite a few times. It's actually one that I've also gotten myself, you know, from folks that know that I edit and am involved with the show. And that's, uh, what have been some of your favorite episodes of Fresh Text? (laughs) Well, boy, I'll never forget the first time I had my brother on the show. Because when I first started the show, he... I don't know, because he's humble or whatever. Didn't, you know, I asked him, he was he didn't seem interested. And so I waited a little while and then I, I he likes the show. It's very supportive of what we were doing. So after I think about a year in, actually, I think it was you guys. I think mm-hmm. it was you and Eric. Yeah. We were like, dude, you got to get David on here. Yeah. If even just like, because he has a following. Like, so get him on and we'll get more listeners. Selfishly, <laughs> only selfishly reason, that yeah. was partly, uh, you know. <laughs> My, my thought as well, but no, I'm, you it wasn't know, just that. Yeah. yeah. I've known David for years as well. And I am trying to remember, I actually almost want to look it up right now. Maybe I will. And 
you'll decide whether to cut this. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. Like, you know, well, you remember the, what text it was, but I remember how much we laughed, mm-hmm. how much fun it was. It was really, it was like, it was, we laughed, we cried, <laughs> but I mean, it, it got serious and got deep, but it was also really just fun and playful. And I just remember it so vividly. Well, there's such a good shorthand there between the two of you as, I think that's as brothers. And that's part of, of what it was. And I think that, you know, that's always why it's fun to you know have Dave on the show is because he is such a great preacher, but, you know, also such a great teacher. And the melding of those two skills, you know, is evident. And yeah, it's it's been really good to see like the two of you in that dynamic on the show is always a, a fun thing. So I think this is it. Yeah. So then the first one. David Drury appears to be, yeah, it was it was the last day of ordinary time in 2019. It was on Luke 23. On okay, oh, it was. I remember now. We did it here in the room. We've done Zoom ever since, but the very first one is in the flesh, and we did the Jesus uh, forgiving the the criminal on his right, while the other one on the left was mocking him. Right, mm-hmm. and. Yeah, and I remember it just us laughing a ton, but yeah. then also really just kind of some brokenhearted conversing. It was mm-hmm. just really wonderful. And I just, I remember that very fondly. That's one of my faves. Another fave is I thought the recent one with Ken Shank on Philippians 2. I mean, Ken's always great, mm-hmm. but the one on Philippians 2, I felt was just instant classic. I think that's yeah. what I said when I posted it. That's another I just remember that one very fondly. I have a bunch of other favorites. Yeah. How about you? What are some of yours? I can't I, help but ask. <laughs> no, I mean, I definitely fondly think of, of Ken's episodes, each of them, yeah. just because he's a former professor of mine. And I love the way that his mind works. And I'm, you know, I'm always interested in hearing what he has to say about a text. I think another favorite of mine as a layperson would have been Kristen Taylor's episode, yeah. which was just really unique and kind of outside the box, you know, for Fresh Tech. So I really uh, enjoyed working on that episode, editing that. And Kristen and I are old friends as well. So yeah. part of it is when you have folks that I, you know, already know, that's that's always you going can't get to get away from that. Yeah. I remember, the, I don't know if it was the first time or second time I had Larissa Lebicheva on. We did Luke 15, mm-hmm. where the woman lost the coin, yep. and she explained how, like, this would have not been, like, coins like money. This would have been, like, an heirloom, a family heirloom, mm-hmm. like, maybe even a necklace of 10 mm-hmm. coins. And so if one's missing, the whole thing is broken. Yeah. Oh, that was just such a mind-blowing, like, just insight into the text. Larissa, and I'm still able yeah. to remember it here two yeah. years later. Exactly. Larissa yeah. was such a blessing over, yeah. like, you know, that entire period, especially when we were in the Old Testament and this bringing yeah. so many great insights. And She's coming on for Ephesians later this summer. Nice. I've got her booked. We're recording soon. So nice. I'm excited to have her on again. No, that'll be good. That'll be good. I have a long Rolodex of New Testament scholars. So I've, I have used her less <laughs> this year, although she's an excellent New Testament scholar. It's not, yep. she's, she's not pigeonholed in the old, but... But I had a longer Rolodex of friends I wanted to call up, you know, new, some of the new ones like Amy sure, and stuff. Sure, sure. And it's fun to, you know, you know, diversify and get some new sure. voices in. And, you know, we've definitely enjoyed uh, all the, the new voices during this Epistle Progress. But we'll obviously be looking forward to getting Larissa and some other folks back here. So everyone mm. else I mentioned, don't be hurt. Yeah. It's not personal. <laughs> it's, <laughs> These are just some memories. We love memories. everybody's episode <laughs> equally. No, it's not true. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, so question number three here, which is, uh, you know, really interesting one. And, you know, uh, maybe a little bit of a, a loaded question here, but uh, I'll just ask. Translations. How to select one. How to navigate translation tensions in your congregation. Okay. Okay. So how to select one. Start with me just saying right out of the gate that I am a strong believer in multiple translations, comparing them. Now, that was harder in a time when you had to buy physical texts and inconvenient. You couldn't carry around four translations. But with the Bible apps and with online resources, to me, why would you not just like have a handful of faves? Now, you still need to understand the different translation philosophies, but it used to be when I was taught the translation philosophies, then it was like, okay, choose the correct one. Mm-hmm. Whereas now it's more have, make sure you have a spread. So I'll walk through that real quick. The kind of, there's a, the wooden extreme is on one end, which tries to follow the word order and the kind of almost as close to word for word as is possible in English and still be English. Mm-hmm. If it's not English, it's not even translation, right? Yeah. So there's going to be some moving around and sometimes one word becomes three and sometimes three become one because of the differences, but you're basically following as close to word for word as possible. Then the other radical extreme would be like paraphrasing. You're basically Mm. getting the gist of each paragraph or sentence. And then somewhere in the middle is what's often called dynamic equivalence. So you're trying to, it's dynamic, it's not wooden. You're kind of saying, well, what's the thought? You know, you're thinking more at the level of each clause, how to capture that thought in contemporary language. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's the rough equivalent, but it's kind of dynamic. It's not kind of stuck word for word. I personally think that like it's really good to really have basically three translations ready to go mm. that are loosely across that spread. Is that just because you like threes? Probably. <laughs> probably. Well, it's it's biblical, right? It's confirmed by two witnesses, right? So you've got one witness and then two additional kind of There, you go. Kinda, there but, you go. But I think it's really good to have a wooden translation handy. I think too many people are scared of them mm. because they don't read well publicly they're not written what they're not good for the ear because they're so wooden that people are scared they're like i'm never going to preach from that and when you say wooden translation just for listeners who maybe yes. don't know Please, right yes. away, would that be you know an example of i'll that? give examples so nasb mm-hmm. new american standard the old rsv would be pretty wooden um take some liberties sometimes king james is wooden although i don't really use that the esv okay. uh would be the kind of most the kind of most recent in that tradition. And there's a bunch in that tradition. Okay. Now, often those translations are often reacting to the freewheeling dynamism of the others. Okay. So, so often like the introductions and notes on those are not great because they often have an agenda mm. like, Oh, we've lost biblical truth. Yeah. And we got to return. I'm not into that. So I love the ESV, but I don't really love like the, the gang who like got together and said, yeah. we need the RSV because the NIV is getting too liberal. Right. Like, yeah. I don't care for that, but it is, it is a nice study Bible. So I think sure. of it as a book for a Bible to study because it helps me kind of really track the, the logic. And then, a, you know, your, your most famous paraphrase would be the message. Uh-huh. But, but it's not paraphrasing from English. He's paraphrasing from the original. And it's often very insightful. Mm-hmm. So it's almost you get some insights. Or the New Living Translation would be on the paraphrase end of the dynamic equivalence. It's okay. strictly speaking dynamic equivalence, but it pushes the envelope yeah, yeah. and really takes some liberties sometimes, but often very insightful, helpful. 
And then you've got your uh, jack of all trades in the middle would be your NIV mm-hmm. and the NRSV. Those okay. would both be – those attempt to be kind of compromises right in the middle. Sure. So but if I were to glance at an ESV, an NRSV, and then NLT mm-hmm. in a time of study with a text, I'm going to get the range of yeah. ways to take that text. Now, that's only your first question or our listener's first question. The second one's the tougher one. Yeah. So to me, because I feel this way and because the Bible app is so much more common on people's phones, I would start by promoting the Bible app on people's phones Hmm. to get people experiencing multiple translations and being less threatened by them Yeah, instead of pushing a new translation. So if you're in a place that was King James only 50 years ago... And then they had a whole big old battle to switch to the NIV. Mm-hmm. And then now they're treating the NIV like it was the King James, like yeah. it's from God on high. Yeah. Like, well, if you're going to go with an old translation, might as well go with the classic. Yeah. And they get just as defensive with the NIV instead of pushing on them the NLT or yeah. some NRSV. I would say just really promote that Bible app. It's a free app and it's awesome. Yeah. And start, you know, using different translations and learning and teach the range you mm-hmm. know and make use of all of them in your own sermons yeah um and what's wonderful is you know i really love audio it's why we started this mm-hmm. this podcast but i mean the bible app has built into it a bunch of audio bibles yeah. in different translations different accents and so you're leveraging that audio quality which the bible is almost every single element of the scriptures were written for first for the ear and they were written in times when literacy was very low. These would have been read out loud and heard. And there are just things you notice when you listen to the scriptures. And then, you know, you think of different translations as just kind of finding um, something that, that has the rhythm that helps you get into the word. Mm. So if a more dynamic translation helps you spend more time in the word, then it was worth it. Yeah. Um, But when you're going to study, okay, then you want to incorporate some of those more wooden translations just to make sure you're double checking to so you don't make a mountain out of a molehill mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what i mean um yeah any advice for pastors out there who just have folks in their congregation who are just staunch about a translation like you know just might you know don't take the bait yeah <laughs> i wouldn't i wouldn't try to convince them just I, just do your thing yeah i think that that's that's probably correct in <laughs> yeah. my experience as well that's you know don't take the bait you know, that's great well our next question you know here is also uh, a two-part question and uh it's a uh, number four here i'm a layman and i want to go deeper in theology where do i start that would be the first part of the question and the second would be i'm a pastor and I have people asking me, you know, this all of the time. Any advice? Okay. That's really good. That's a really well-framed question. So how do I go deeper? I get the question often, hey, what's the five books I should read in theology? You know, and I don't think there's a set five for everybody, although I'll make a few recommendations before we wrap up the conversation. But going deeper starts in really in the core disciplines of scripture and prayer. And so it always starts there and really learning to interact, let those interact with one another. So I would encourage if anyone hasn't done 
like a Bible in the year kind of challenge. Mm-hmm. I think taking one of those challenges can be really powerful to feel, to experience the whole narrative can be really powerful. Um, if you've already done that and you want to go deeper, then to me, it's all about book studies and learning that the Bible is not a book. It's a mm-hmm. library. It's a collection of books written in different times and places, mm-hmm. even across some of them commenting and arguing with the other ones. Mm-hmm. And so to find, so it, you really, the first step is that exposure to the whole, but then kind of really just honestly asking yourself, where did I get sucked in? Mm-hmm. Was, did Exodus just blow my mind? Or was the David story yeah. where, where, where it excited me? Or was it the poetry of the Psalms? Um, or was it the imagery of a prophet like Ezekiel? Yeah, for me, it's the imagery and the poetry of Job. Like, yes, you know, Job, of course. Mm-hmm. And then just take the risk of even setting aside a time mm-hmm. where you just say, you know what? For this season, maybe it's a summer or maybe it's with the church year, maybe Lent or Advent. You're just like, I'm going to do a deep dive in this book mm-hmm. and approach the way you do a deep dive anywhere else, just like on YouTube. Where you're like, I'm really interested <laughs> in the JFK assessment, yeah, right? Exactly. And what you don't ask, like, where do you start? You just start. Yeah. Yeah. You just dig. And literally you can start there. Just watch some videos, get some overview, but then just start digging in, checking translations, finding free commentaries online. Just, just geek out mm-hmm. and don't be a... Sh- a you, you have to be a lot more nervous. The weird thing is, is lay folk often are anxious of going in because they're worried about error, mm. worried about guidance. But the beautiful thing is actually, and they don't have the training or whatever. Mm-hmm. The beautiful thing is, if you're not preparing to teach someone with this, now that will end up happening. Mm. But at first step, if you're not like prepping for someone else, you're just learning for yourself. You don't have to be as anxious about getting it right. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's actually sometimes harder for the pastors because they have the training. They have their professors in their mm-hmm. head saying, you need to be a better scholar. You know, like they, they remember some Hebrew like grammar that they took a test on and yeah. got an A, but totally don't remember or yeah. got an F and didn't know then. Right. <laughs> but either way, there's anxiety. Actually, sometimes there's more walls and barriers sometimes for pastors to go deep. Yeah. A layperson, you're allowed to just dig in and see what happens. I know that's about scripture and you asked about theology. So maybe mm-hmm. this person's also asking about in addition to scripture. But I would say you really, really dig dig in deep with the scriptures and not rush to things outside the scriptures too quickly mm-hmm. um, and bathe that in practices of prayer and use the scriptures as prayer. Use the Psalms. So to me, I'm like, Psalms and Gospels are your core. I mean, drummer, you know, so that's, to me, that's, there's kick, there's snare and there's hi-hat. That's yep. the core of the kit. And to me, Gospels and Psalms is like the core of the kit, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I haven't thought through this analogy very much, but you get the. Uh, well, it well I'll, I'll try what's to the third thing. The yeah, I'll try, right? try to help you. I have maybe the the psalms it's, it's, it's keeping you going, you know. But so if that's the case, you know, but somebody's interested in the tom, <laughs> yeah. you know, or Go ahead. expanding no that that yeah. kid a little bit, you know, yeah, feel free to do so. But you know, um, in the second part of this question, though, you know, you have the the pastoral approach to this of of pastors saying that they have people asking them all the time Mm -hmm. how to enrich, how to go deeper, you know, any advice in particular for a pastor or a leader or anyone, you know, who is a teacher of of folks to pass on to to people who maybe want to dive in deep more historically, maybe they want to Mm -hmm. dive in deep uh, more theologically, you know, maybe they're just excited about a particular thinker, you know, yeah. or they've, you know, read something that has gotten their imagination sparked. Yeah. My general rule of thumb that I do in my own pastoral relationships is when people are asking for book recommendations or going in deeper, 
my standard response is, well, tell me what you've already read. What, what are you already interested in? What has gotten you up to here? Mm-hmm. And then really it's a co-discernment process of what's next. Yeah. So I'd rather give people the next book mm-hmm. instead of the five great books. Right? Yeah. Because they'll get to the five great books. If yeah. they, you know, or they won't and who cares? And who cares? <laughs> but I agree. They will get there because yeah. they'll want that. That'll be what's next. At some point, it'll come to say, I want to have a sense of the sweep and I want to know the big figures from different periods. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, then if that's really what's next, then that's what's next. Yeah. But so I think as a pastor um, and as a fellow Christian, you can often sense when you talk with someone, okay, there's a kind of through line in the stuff they're reading. And you can just sense with them the what's the what's the scratch? Help them name the scratch, mm. or no, the itch. I'm getting yeah. wrong. <laughs> Help them name the, the itch, itch. Yeah. and then offer the scratch. And if you don't exactly know what the scratch might be, well, hopefully you know the scriptures. You can start there. What's a mm-hmm. scripture that might be relevant? And as for yourself, it's okay to just say, you know, I don't know. Give me forty eight hours, and let me. And then shoot me a text or send send us an yeah. email. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Or a friend uh, who's a geek and wants to help out. Because once you've honed the itch, you can find someone to help yeah. you match the scratch to that. It's just not always articulated because it may come out that they're going to start. I mean, here's a classic mistake I've seen in youth ministry all the time. Kid says, I'm struggling with doubt. And they start with a bunch of intellectual things about doubt. And then you throw them a book of apologetics. Okay, maybe that's good. Case for faith, case for Christ. Mm-hmm. McDowell is what it was when sure, we were kids. Yeah. Strobel's the one that came later. Yep. And that might be just what's right. But mm-hmm. 50 to more percent of the time mm-hmm. is they're not asking, does God exist? No. Is the Bible reliable? Those are the questions they ask. But they're asking, does God love me? Mm-hmm. Am I really mm-hmm. acceptable? Do I? That's actually the underlying question. So spending some time discerning with them and helping them to articulate, you know, the question under the question can then really help with the next text. Cause then I don't know, maybe, I mean, someone who's saying they're talking about doubt and framing it intellectually might really need to read Henry Nouwen's return of the prodigal son, which for me is what kind of really helped to defeat the most powerful doubts Mm. that were really not about intellectual questions. They were fundamental, effective relational questions of my acceptability. And that was the book that did it for me. And I would happily recommend that to anybody, but I wouldn't, if I had to have my all time top five theology books, I wouldn't make it on the list probably because. So does that help answer the question or change the subject? No, definitely. (laughs) No, it definitely does help answer the question. I mean, you know, you, I mean, ultimately I think it boils down to you read what you're thinking about, like what, you know, what is, really moving you and start in that direction and you'll find where to go. Like, yeah. you know, what's the starting there. place of, what's the starting point of Ohio? Yeah. Where are you? Yep. Where are you trying to go? Right. Mm. That's the starting point. Yeah. So yeah. if you're in Ohio and you're trying to get to Indiana, well, that's different than if you're trying to get to New York. So I need to know where you are and what's next because, and that might sound like, Oh, you're all roads lead. It's like, no, God is everywhere. So they're on a path and there may be uh, different things that meet different needs. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. No. Well, I'm going to pull a little bit of a lateral here and uh, use my uh, editorial authority here to ask a question of my own. You, uh, okay. you <laughs> had mentioned, you know, just in that last question, you know, about youth. And I've seen you work a lot with youth. What are some of the kind of teaching techniques and some of the 
the things that you do with youth, because oftentimes I've seen you in Bible study, you know, doing exegesis with youth that was nothing like, you know, Sunday school when I was growing up. And, you know, can, you know, from a lot of people, I think they could think, oh, that's quite sophisticated. You're asking the who, what, when, where, why questions. And I think oftentimes we uh, don't think enough about our youth and don't think that they can handle like a lot of these questions. And it's been cool to see you work with them and believe that, you know, no, they, they really are ready to start, you know, uh, asking deeper questions of the Bible. So, you know, to any youth pastors or people who work with youth out there, do you have any tips or anything that you might want to encourage them with? Yeah, I'd say, of course, what anyone would tell you, which is the relational consistency and faithfulness is the key. Mm-hmm. That's what wins you the right to be heard. But that's just by showing up and being around and yeah. connecting. That That isn't a substitute for doing the work. Mm-hmm. You just, that's crucial. But then within that relational framework, I mean... In my point of view, simplicity leads to depth mm. because the simpler your approach and the clearer, so clear and simple, when it's clear and simple, then it empowers adolescents to actually dig in themselves and own it. Because that's really what's happening developmentally in those years is, is this my faith? Is this my church? Or is it just something I do because my parents do? That's mm-hmm. a kind of at least one of the key developmental questions happening in that stage. And so the more you can do to give students a sense that they're actually doing the work of digging, mm-hmm. right? Which means handing them the tools, right? Uh, which is why, like, when I like, – so I lead a Bible study, and we literally just follow the same format every single week. Now, a lot of people would think that's boring. It's repetitive. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times we're intimidated by – a lot of adults who get in, wouldn't want to get involved in ministry because we're intimidated, like, oh, we have to be interesting and entertaining. <laughs> mm. And okay, maybe a little, but um, don't be, you know, don't go out of your way to be boring. But, <laughs> but using simple and clear methods and consistent ones actually empowers them because then they are doing the work. And when they're doing the work, they're now owning it for themselves. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. So. So we literally like we gather, we read the text once, we we say a prayer, we read the text once, like one verse at a time around the room. We don't sync translations. Bring whatever translation you want because mm-hmm. that creates a fun dynamic. Like mine had a different. Mine said this. Oh, what did yep. you say? And then that creates a conversation and it creates questions. So I intentionally <laughs> encourage a kind of translation diversity to create conversation. So they read it through once. This is how we do. It. You don't have to do this, obviously, but just to give you a picture of it. Each read a verse. We go around. Pause, take deep breath, and then we assign observation tasks. So who, what, when, and where, right? Who's the people in the stories? What's the objects, concepts? When is times and where is place? It's so simple, right? Same thing every week, year in, year out. We just use this over and over again. But every text comes alive when you just, all we're doing is observing, just noticing the details. You you don't have to have any special skills to do that. Mm -hmm. And we assign those, so we split it up, so it's teamwork, you know, who, what, when, where, who, what, when, where, who, you know, around the room. So eight, 12, as many, you can do it with a large group, you can do it with a smaller group. And then we, I read the text the second time then. So then, and then they just listen to me and read and or read their text and just notice things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we just like put them up on the board if we have a board or we just verbalize them if we're at over a meal. I've done it both ways. And with us, literally the first half is just collecting up observations and then with the time we have, then we moved interpretation. We said, okay, why does it say what it says? Who, what, when, where, why? Mm-hmm. Like, why does it say that? Why, why does it do that? What are your questions? And I, or I pitch some questions or they ask each other questions. Mm-hmm. 
And I try really hard and it's, it takes some work and it's risky. Mm. But when someone asks a question to say, what do you guys think? What, what observations have we already made that'll help to answer this question? <laughs> the questions you ask can get answered by a careful study. Not all, yeah. but some. Enough to get going. Sure. Now, they usually corner me and try to get me to explain things. So then there's usually some geeking out that yeah. I'll do for them because that's what I can do. But but a lot of them, I mean, I've had multiple students who've gone through that process with me who then they get to college and then they lead Bible studies in their dorm using mm-hmm. that exact method. Mm-hmm. They just follow the same method. Yeah. Um, or even ones in high school. meet. I, there was one who was meeting on Saturdays for a while and they were meeting and just doing the, we just fo- ask the questions. Yep. And then how is the last question? How do I apply this to my life? Make sure you always save a few minutes at the end to ask. Sure. And do that prayerfully, conversationally. What does this look like? How would I live this mm. out? Who, what, when, where, how, and why? It's just, it's Richard Scary, yep. uh, Busy Town Mysteries. It's one of my kids' shows <laughs> yes. that I saw when my kids were watching <laughs> 10, 15 years ago, and I stole it from that. Yep. Who, what, when, where, why, and how? Yep. And that's it. Yep. Simple, Simple but effective. Like, yep. So. And the depth comes through the simplicity because it empowers mm-hmm. um, everyone to engage in the, the study. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Well, this next question is quite interesting, and I'm really curious to kind of hear what you have to say about this. Um, what are the doctrinal lines in the sand <laughs> versus controversy for controversy's sake? Hmm. Yeah, that's an insightful question. Well, I'll start with the second part first. I mean, there's a place for controversy, a place for pressing tough issues, asking tough questions, challenging cultural norms. Um, And some of us, I think, are more gifted at that than others to be a prophetic voice. Some of us are gifted in that, but have a different view than I do. And so we'll see who's We'll, he, we'll see who's right on Judgment Day, or maybe we won't care and we'll move on from there. I don't know. but um, So there can be those who are gifted for controversy. I wouldn't rule that out. Having said that, be wary in yourself of a love of controversy. There's just too much in Scripture mm. warning us, even by those who engage in controversy themselves, like the Apostle Paul, who's constantly warning against contention and division. So I think you need to be really, I need to constantly ask myself, am I just picking a fight? I mean, I just had to think about just literally today, there was something at work where I was realizing, you know, there's this pattern where sometimes I just pick a fight with, you know, certain colleagues or superiors just to indicate to them and to others, my independence, just to assert my autonomy. Mm. And, and that's as function of much as of my own resentments as it is actually helping build up the team yeah so i think being really questioning what is it that's motivating me what is behind my drive to this controversy and you know being honest with oneself about that i know with me it's usually pain yeah you know in my past or resentment hurt people hurt people right Yeah. yeah So, and it doesn't mean you can't then, I mean, some might people hear this and might say, oh, well then what, can you never have an opinion? Well, no, but if you lead with that brokenness, Mm -hmm. if you lead out of that weakness, then the language, I mean, again, Apostle Paul as a model here, a man who leads out of weakness, even when engaging in controversy, Mm -hmm. even when engaging in fraternal correction, calling people out. So I don't think we never can. I think there can be Sometimes minor issues that are are still a major issue because of what it's revealing in our 
church or in a culture at a time. So I'm not, I wouldn't say there's only, you know, that, that even so-called minor or marginal issues, sometimes those can be test case for faithfulness. You know, I, I wouldn't rule that out. Having said that, back to the line in the sand. There, I think there is a core mm. and I think we should focus on that. Okay. I mean, I feel that strongly. It's the twin dogmas of Trinity and incarnation. It's the deity of Christ and the power of his spirit and that he became truly human. He genuinely human and yet fully divine. The Lordship of Christ. Mm. That's, that's at the heart. And our preaching should be constantly coming back to that. Our teaching should constantly come back to that. That's the dividing line in Christian identity. That's the thing that unites all Christians everywhere, even if we have debates about the proper way of articulating that. Mm-hmm. I just think coming back to that over and over and over again, this is why I teach courses on Christmas and Easter, because it's Christmas and Easter that get us back there. Mm. I think sometimes we as pastors kind of resent those seasons because it's when all the riffraff show yeah, back up. Yeah, yeah. And we're not getting to do our cool series. Well, but this is the heart of the gospel. Mm-hmm. So for the Christian year forcing us to come back to that, I think is is a gift that the historic church has given us to just remind us that that preaching Christ and him crucified is really at the center. And there are other things we do and other things we talk about. We have to address the full witness of scripture and mm-hmm. how it affects our lives. But back to those twin dogmas of incarnation and trinity, that's where that's no. where the Jew, that's where the action is. Yeah. No, absolutely. You know, knowing John as I have all these many years, it's definitely the truth that Easter is the happiest season for for him. And, you know, uh, that getting back to those, you know, those things, yeah, are definitely, you know, something that I know I need, you know, year in and and year out is to, you know, come back to that. And and for me, you know, sometimes it is those holidays that, you know, it might be, you know, what, what gets me back in, in the pews after being away for a while. So, yeah. you know, and it's important to, to, to find the, the truth in that. So the next question is kind of fun here. Uh, it's uh, moving a little bit away from the theology. It's uh, what do you and guests talk about on breaks? <laughs> I've been asked this so many times. It's so funny. Um, I've heard a joke many times. Do you guys go and quick look stuff up? You know, like so that you sound smarter. I'm like, well, I'm the one who makes you sound smarter, actually, by like you know deleting the like five or six minutes where you're actually looking things up. And occasionally like, we look something up but, right on know, the show because I know Todd will just clean it up. I just exactly. clean it up. Just put it right there. Breaks together. for that. Yeah. Although I don't think we do that too much. No, no. <laughs> I have some really brilliant, amazing, knowledgeable people on the show, so I don't really need that. I always get a drink of water. I always uh, ask my guests if, yeah, you need anything, you know, and they're always like, no. So I think I'm the one who uh, is the thirsty one. But they uh, sometimes it's quick. Just take a breath and we jump right back in. And I remember in the early days of the show, we used to laugh every time. You yes. remember this time? Yeah. The, it, for, it, got, it got irritating. Yeah. You told us to stop. Yeah. But Aaron Perry and I, because when the show first started, Aaron was on like every other episode. He kind of helped me start the show. And and, and I haven't had him on it, but I hope to have him back on again. But uh, we uh, we would go and we're back and laugh. <laughs> you know, like a little giggle. And it, it got old. Uh, <laughs> it's awkward for anyone who's starting a podcast or, you know, is on the air. Yeah. It's just it's like, oh, this is not. Especially now that I'm doing a lot, I have a lot more, both with COVID 
but not even because of COVID, just really expanding the guest list to a lot more people that are remote Mm -hmm. and recording over Zoom. Um, Often we're catching up. I mean, there have been times when, you know, I mean, I, I mean, I, I can recall a specific episode not that long ago where Ken and I talked for like a half an hour on one of the breaks. Um, <laughs> Cause we're just catching up. Like I remember that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, I had to find when the show started back up. So <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> Sometimes I'll, we'll get, we'll get talking again. We'll like get back in the zone yeah. of the text and I'll be like, Whoa, this is too good. Let's start. Let's get back in, you know? Um, so it's usually a mix of catching up or occasionally, you know, just running on a bunny trail. Yeah. So yeah. And again, I don't, not all of these guests are, are old friends. Some of them I'm still getting to know. Yeah. So often those breaks are an important moment of, of connection, getting to know a person. So yeah, that's a great question. Yeah. It's just kind of fun. <laughs> Mostly a drink of water and we hop back in most of the time. But a handful of times we'll have a whole conversation there, yeah. Nice. So uh, to conclude this kind of first mailbag, our, our final question here is is a really interesting one. At the top of every episode, you introduce yourself as a professor of systematic theology and spiritual formation. What do those have to do with each other? <laughs> oh, this question really gets to the heart of the matter for me. Um, so at the end of the day... They're two sides of one coin, you know? I mean, it's all theology, properly speaking. So Evagoras of Pontus, 4th century desert mystic, had this quote. I saw it in college. I thought it was cool. I wrote it on my wall. I had no idea what it meant. Even then, I was like, I don't know what that means, but it sounds really cool. Um, He said, a theologian is one who prays, and one who prays is a theologian. Hmm. And over the, over the decades, I've come to learn that theologia, theology, had actually a very specific sense in the ancient church. Because actually, there wasn't a job called being a theologian. You would be a bishop. You, would be a, you could be a pastor. Um, you could be a philosopher was the kind of – that's mm-hmm. Justin Martyr and some others who – that meant you taught you know, classes and, and had disciples and teachers, the lover of wisdom – and you'd be a Christian philosopher, and that's kind of the origins of theology as we think of it. But teologia meant one who knows God, hmm. right? and one who has intimate knowing of God with or without books, right? Books and doctrine were the, the lattice work around that, mm-hmm. but not the substance, not the focus. So one who knows God is one who prays, and one who prays is one who knows God, right? Hmm. And in principle, you can pick up the stick from either end. So the way I put it in modern terms, you could say that theology is is telling the story of God with us, Mm. right? Telling it in a reflective way, considering it, noticing things about it. And systematic theology is really trying to focus on the story of God with us. It's trying to watch God's initiative, you know? And spiritual formation is focused on the story of God with us. It's mm-hmm. kind of picking up it from the the subjective side, as it were. Yeah. And for me, the two of them coming together is where I get the most excited. I haven't completely figured out what that looks like in terms of writing because there's a kind of academic ease. There's a theologies mm. that's used for academic theology where you really don't talk about God. You talk about 
people talking about God. Mm-hmm. And then you end up talking about people who are talking about people who are talking about uh. God. So it's like Bart's view of Anselm's understanding of God. It's like, <laughs> man, how many steps removed are we yeah. from just talking about God, right? And so to really overcome that distance, I've I've had to really dip into different kinds of genres and experiment with writing prayers, writing poetry, writing meditations in order to break down the, these, because the difference I think is more of genre than substance. Mm. I think we tend to think of systematic theology as big complex systems can putting God in a box and spiritual formation as this kind of boundless, you know, touchy feely kind of stuff. Right. Mm. And for me, I don't think either of those are really true because it's the same substance. It's the same encounter of God with the person and God with the community. So I've had, I've been having to experiment with genres because I think the difference is a lot more genre than, Hmm. than substance. That's the beginnings of an answer. I'm still kind of sorting that out for myself uh, Hmm. professionally and personally. So, and that's maybe part of, that's maybe the best answer uh, to the question is that I don't have a perfect answer to the question because mm. that would just be systematic. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it is still, it's still emerging. Yeah. But I hope my heart shines through in that answer at least. No, for sure. It definitely, definitely does. And, you know, it's been delightful over the last, you know, 10 years or so seeing spiritual formation become more of a fundamental part Absolutely. Of, of, of your life and just you know, like really, you know, giving a lot of, of richness, you know, and, and sort of texture to, you know, your, your spiritual life. That's been really fun. Well, John, it's been awesome for you to answer these questions. It's been awesome to kind of turn the tables here and you yeah. be a guest, you know, kind of on your own show. So thank you so much to all of uh, our listeners out there who uh, tune in week in and week out. Uh, we uh, can't imagine, you know, doing this without you guys. And ah. I'm the one that... <laughs> John says you can't imagine doing it without me. I can't imagine doing it without people who uh, we know listen and and benefit from the show. So uh, we look forward to seeing you guys on Monday where we'll be diving into 2 Corinthians 5, verse 6 through 17 with Sarah Henlicky Wilson. So we'll see you guys on Monday. Bye-bye.